Welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm Ryan. And I'm Brian. And this is the Bible Bistro podcast. It is all about the Bible, theology, and things related to the Christian faith. Close I'm enough for jazz. In. Close I'm enough for in. jazz. Yes. What is it? Relating? All things. All things. I usually say all things related. All things. To what did I say? And things. Thing, and things. <laughs> and things. It's all things, well, you know, Brian. I think maybe we should do this the opposite way so that you're the one who has to do that part because you're the one who has a, such a hard time with that. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. When I when I go off script on that one. Yeah. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. it's my problem, as always. So, so I asked today, it, it, before before we began, before we turned this on just like two minutes ago, the uh, your hat. And like I said, is this your thing now? You're like the the bistro gives it that to be able to tell the difference between Ryan and Brian. And so you're the one with the hat. Wearing on. the hat. Well, no. This uh, is for our YouTube listeners, obviously. For our those YouTube are, listeners. So I've been wearing a hat. Been wearing, wearing a hat. Um, and it is my I'm working from home today uh, okay. hat. And what right. that means is I didn't do anything with my hair. And so <laughs> right. I'm just like, put okay. on a hat because that's what's happening. I do that. I do that some days. So. Well, I'm just not, I'm not out. I'm not out and about today. So right. I put right. on the hat, but uh, yeah, so that's my new guard. But I also have okay. a new piece of hardware that uh, was gifted to me. <laughs> and if this is for YouTube listeners oh. as well, I have a snow what? globe Jesus on a golden chalice. Is that the Holy Grail? I mean, uh, well, I opened this package. It was a gift to me, and I was like, "What from a in listener, the world?" Right? From a listener, and here we go. Jesus is going to get some sparkles here. Um, so, you know, this can be yours. This I was told this is found at a flea market, and then a little twist here. We can get a little amazing grace. So, I've got that's the Lord fast. of the Soul Globe. The tempo was hot. The tempo was hot on Amazing Grace. <laughs> but look at Jesus. He's surfing in here, everybody. Anyway, so oh, I've got the hat. I've got Snow Globe Jesus sitting next to me. <laughs> so I thank am, you. Thank you to the Thank listeners. you. Thank you. Uh, I, could have, I literally could never have imagined oh. when we started this podcast that one of the things that I would receive as a Just gift... The Holy Grail would be a snow globe Jesus on a holy grail. But I did and here I am. And with What what does that signify, would you say? How how do you interpret that piece of iconography? Well <laughs> I mean if you can look here, it's like it's it's like a wave. Like it's like he's Jesus surfing. right away. But it's like a cloud. So I'm thinking this is kind of a revelation. Oh, he's son of on man clouds. Okay. Son of man, Daniel, you know, which you know oh, that's where we're on. Fits, so I'm thinking he's kinda the clouds right. he's kinda surfing on it so i think that's we'll maybe all allow it then if it fits with today's <laughs> yes so anyway i've i've had coffee i've got water i've got my Good. home hat to protect my head and the hair <laughs> and i've got snow globe jesus and i am ready for daniel nine all right daniel i'm excited nine. slash yeah. now now this one now daniel eight last week was a little bit easier because yeah. it seemed like the angel was like pretty clear about yeah here's what it means and <laughs> well, all of a sudden explain. it's like oh you got some questions here's some answers that are not so clear so okay. at least to yeah, me there's a lot of things me. that are a little bit different about daniel nine i really like this chapter though there's it it, it it takes us back to a couple places i think earlier one of the things i just think historically is remember chapter seven and eight both took place during the reigns of belshazzar Mm-hmm. Who, who's the last king of Babylon, right? So we've got... Arrogant. Arrogant. We saw the the narrative about him in chapter five, right? That he's holding... Speaking of Holy Grail, he, he's holding the... Uh, the uh, <laughs> If there's writing on the wall... The utensils let, let from the know. temple. Right. He's using the utensils from the temple uh, to have his feast. They're, they're, they're giving... Um, what I say, toasting the gods of iron and and precious metals and all this kind of stuff, and the hand appears on the wall and basically says, "This very night, the king is going to be taken away from you." So that was the end of Belshazzar. Both chapter seven and eight take place in the first year of King Belshazzar and in the third year of King Belshazzar. So then, chapter five ends. Do you remember how chapter five ends? The very last verse. It's uh, the the Medes. Coming. Darius the Mede. Darius mm-hmm. the Mede takes the kingdom, or is is, is technically is given the kingdom that very uh, when night. Sixty two years old that very night, and so um, we didn't talk about Darius then. But but one of the questions we have because Cyrus is the guy that we we 
associate with this period of time. Uh, and I'm going to look at Ezra chapter one here in just a minute. And Cyrus is clearly the the Persian king then. So this whole idea of Darius, some people suggest that it's somebody that was invented by Daniel, but, but I don't, I don't, take that kind of, uh, of an approach. What, what many would understand is that Darius is uh, appointed maybe a governor along that lines of Babylon, of this okay. area. And so Cyrus appoints him to be the one who, who controls this, this part of the, of the world. And so we find Daniel in chapter 9 then. If you go ahead and read verses 1 and 2 to us because this is, um, this is what, what we have going on here. Yeah. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to, to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Okay, let's stop there for right now, and then we'll come back to that. So, so it, it, notice it's still called, what, what is it called? It, he, he's, he's the king of what? Uh, he was made ruler over ba- the Babylonian, the kingdom. Babylonian empire. So it still, it still refers to Babylonia here. Um, but it's that change. And, and what year does it say? It's, it's the, the first year, right? It's when first that, trans- of, of Darius, it's, it's when that transition takes place again. That's the historical context. So, you know, it gets a little confusing here. So you think about chapter seven and eight of Daniel would have taken place before chapter five, right? When, when right. Belshazzar is still in control, then we come along to chapter nine and it would be after chapter five. <laughs> you, mm-hmm. you see what I'm saying? Yeah, in that yeah, first yeah. year mm-hmm. of, of the transition. And you might remember that it goes on in chapter six and we have that whole issue with some of the other governors are jealous of Daniel because he's been given uh, a special place and, um, you know they get him in trouble basically and get him thrown into the to the lion's den because he refused not to pray now that's the other interesting thing i find about this just just remember that that whole story because i think i think this is interesting so this is after that transition from uh, Belshazzar, from Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, those guys into the Medes and the Persian empire which we've already heard about right in mm-hmm. chapters 2 7 and 8 in chapter seven and eight and two, these are all future. This is going to happen. So, so during Belshazzar's reign, this is where it gets a little complex. If you see what I'm saying, mm-hmm. so so Belshazzar during his reign, Daniel gets this vision that there's going to be another empire or another. Uh, kingdom that's going to arise, right? Mm-hmm. Same as Nebuchadnezzar had. In Nebuchadnezzar, you might remember, says you are that that head of gold, and then there's going to be this silver kingdom that comes, represented by the by that statue. How was this? Is this is quiz time? How was this kingdom um, depicted in chapter seven? Do you remember the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians? Was it the bear? Is the bear that was lifted a up on one side? Bear. Yeah, the lopsided bear, as we like to call him. Yeah, <laughs> Eileen the bear. Eileen the um, bear with the three the three ribs in its mouth. Um, so so that's how they're depicted there. And then in the last chapter, if you're here last week, um, listened uh, to to what we had to say. Then uh, it was the ram with the two horns, one mm-hmm. longer than the other. <clears throat> And that was when we talked about this idea of the Medes and the Persians, you know, the Medes being inferior to the Persians or, you know, some some way related in, in that way. Okay. So that was a lot. So, so basically, I'm just trying to show you how this, Recap. this fits historically. But then the other significant thing that happens is when the Medo-Persian Empire arises, they approach the captive peoples, including the the Jews, including the people of Judea, they approach them differently. Uh, So one of the things, we saw this both with the Assyrians and the Babylonians, when they came through, uh, you remember Daniel was living in Judea and he was taken as a captive, taken away. And that's one of the ways that the Babylonians controlled their the empire that they conquered is they would dislocate people. They would relocate them from one area to another, and then they brought people in. When when the Medes and the Persians come on the scene, they change that that um, policy, and instead of that, they're allowing the people to go back to the land. Now, this is significant for us, obviously, because this allowed the the people of uh, Judea to go back to 
to Israel, go back to the land that God had promised, to the Holy Land. And, and so, um, but but it's interesting because this this takes place within a, a larger context where we have other historical evidence that Cyrus, um, uh, the king of Persia, Cyrus, allowed many peoples to go back to their land. So this fits within that context. But from the perspective of God's people, this is God's fulfillment of his of his prophetic word. Mm. So look at Ezra chapter one. I'm going to look at a couple of different places here real quick. Look at Ezra chapter one. Okay. Uh, verse one. Do you have that there? Or I do. Do you need me to bring it up? No, I got it. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it into writing. You want to read this? No, that's fine. Uh, and yeah, and then we have the proclamation that's there. And also I mentioned the Cyrus cylinder because we have six examples of this that was engraved in these cylinders and, and you know from this period of time where Cyrus basically says, this is what I'm doing. The difference is the Cyrus cylinders give credit for Cyrus doing this to his gods. His gods are telling him that he needs to allow the people to return. And of course, in Ezra, it's saying that the Lord God is doing this in connection with um, in connection with the prophecy. Did you notice that Ezra, who did Ezra mention there uh, as a prophet? Uh, Jeremiah. <clears throat> right. And the same we saw back in in Daniel chapter nine. I'll just repeat this again. Uh, verse two, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem should last for 70 years. So, so he mentions Jeremiah Ezra mentions Jeremiah. So here's here's this prophecy that the people were going to be in exile in Babylon, but it was only going to be a for a period of 70 years, and then they were going to be allowed to return to the land. And so, you know, people, Daniel and Ezra both are interpreting this as that that kind of prophetic uh, statement. Okay. So any any comments on that or any thoughts? Uh, I don't know. If I, no, I don't think I have thoughts okay. here. I mean, it's... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no. Well, I'm going to have you turn to Jeremiah chapter 29 while I read verse 3 of Daniel, because we're going to look at what, what this prophecy that both Ezra and Daniel seem to be referring to. So this is Daniel 9, 3. So after he says, I understood that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years, then Daniel says, so I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petitioned in fasting in sackcloth and ashes. And then we're going to get this prayer of Daniel. We're going to go through it in detail, but we get this prayer of Daniel after that. But, but you see what I'm saying is Daniel sees what's happening in the, in the transition from the Babylonian empire to the Medo-Persian empire as a fulfillment of God's promise through Jeremiah the prophet. And so he turns in prayer and, and, and makes it a really emphatic, you know, in sackcloth and ashes, uh, which is a sign of, um, is a sign of, uh, repentance. Uh, but it, it's this idea of in fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So basically he's very fervently now praying that God's, um, promise would would come to fruition uh, is what he's doing. Now, I, I mentioned Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 through 14. Do you have that there? I do not have that here. Do you have that? Oh, I thought I thought I told you to. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> you, you don't did. always do the things I tell you to do. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 through 14. I'm getting there. Jeremiah. Oh, my gosh. Jeremiah 29. Oh, my favorite verse is in here. <laughs> Jeremiah 29, 10 through, 14. Uh, 10 through 14. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So, you said that's your favorite verse. What's what's going on with that? Why do you mention that? Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, <laughs> and that's one that people people claim that promise a lot. But but 
we read it in context there. And what, right. what does it seem to be saying here in context? What, what is this idea? Well, after you I have been, plans for you. Right? I have plans. For, yeah, I, like I've, I've got something good planned for you. But in the meantime, you're in exile and banished. Right. And this is right. my judgment on you. So Jeremiah, remember, we call him the weeping prophet because he's the one who's basically saying, I got bad news. You know, God is is going <laughs> to, and I'm going to look at Jeremiah a little bit more in, in a minute, but he says, God is going to punish us because we have not remained faithful to him. We've we've done all of the things that he told us not to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, we've gone to idols. We've not. Um, you know, we, we've allowed the, the people of the land to, to turn our hearts aside from God. Um, we're, we're not keeping the law. We're, we're doing sinful things. And, and so just like God said, <laughs> and we'll get to that in a minute as well, just like God said, as long as you obey me when you're in the land, I'm going to prosper you, right? Mm-hmm. We have to remember, <laughs> and this becomes very significant for a lot of reasons. We have to remember that God's promise here was conditional, mm-hmm. right? Uh, this this promise, I'm not saying all, all of God's promises are, are conditional, but this promise was conditional in the sense that if you obey me, then I'm going to prosper you in this land. But he then turns, you might remember, Deuteronomy is the, the most famous example mm-hmm. of this. The blessings and the curses. The blessing and the curses. Here's you, You'll be blessed in the in, in your, you know, in the your flocks and your herds and you're blessed in the kneading trough and you'll be blessed in, with children. But if you do not obey me, then the cursing is exactly exactly the same. You'll be cursed on your flocks and herds. You'll be your crops will be cursed. Your kneading trough will be cursed, and and so so there's this condition. And Jeremiah has the hard task of basically saying, "Look, we've we've failed, and therefore what God is bringing us is justified. Uh, it's not it's not God." Um, how I want to say this? It's not that that God is no longer in control, but He is bringing about the judgment. Uh, this, isn't, this isn't a change in position from God. God no. God's mm-hmm. been his position yeah. has been clear from the beginning. You are exactly. my people. I have called you to something, but if you choose to disobey me, right? Here are the things that are going to happen to you. Yeah. So now th- let's talk about that last part. You, you said that there's that verse, and, and a lot of people do use this at graduation. God has has plans for you, right? And, and what Jeremiah is saying here is, even though we're going into exile, that doesn't mean God's plan is thwarted. Mm-hmm. The God is still going to accomplish His purpose, uh, even in the midst of this this difficulty. And then look at the very last part of what I had you read there. It says that you will then was just like pray to me, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and then I will, I will answer you. You know, you'll, you, you will find me. You'll look for me, and you'll find me. And I see, I see Daniel. <laughs> you know, I imagine his devotions that morning, right? We're trying to Jeremiah, jumpstart this thing. Jeremiah twenty nine, right? And he's going, oh, and and he prays and he petitions God. This is this is the fulfillment of what you've promised us. And, and so he prays, and I think it's a really cool kind of uh, kind of context here. Now. Uh, well, let's let's wait just a minute before I get too 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 excited now, down here. So. How many years <laughs> is this into the me the Medes that Daniel after Babylonian captivity? So, like, how old would projected if Daniel was fifteen? So, when yeah, eighty five, something like that. So he's mm-hmm. he's yeah. lived out the mm-hmm. seventy years here. He's he at has, the end. Okay, gotcha. in exile. Now the other interesting thing, of course, Ezra and I, I've mentioned this before. Not everybody returns. Right. And, and and God even prophesied that. He in Isaiah particularly, he keeps talking about this remnant, right? It's it's not gonna be the whole cloth that comes back. I'm gonna bring back this remnant of my people. And, and the the amazing thing is that they're gonna be people who are he calls them the righteous remnant, right? They are gonna be the people who are going, we're gonna keep the law this time. We're gonna do the things that God has called us to do. So again, verse three, it says, so I turned to the Lord and I plead with him in prayer and petition and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And this is Daniel 9, four. I prayed to the Lord, my God, and confessed. And so I want you to notice the beginning of this prayer. Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We've turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, 
Notice that line. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. So it's so interesting to me that Daniel begins with this prayer of confession mm-hmm. and, and basically is coming to this period of acknowledging that that he has done wrong, uh, that not only he, but the people as a whole have done wrong. Now, here's what I think is so cool. Do you remember the, the whole reason that Daniel got in, in trouble um, uh, when when the, uh, you know, they were trying to cap, you know, they said he, he's so faithful to his own God and he's also faithful in terms of the laws. Mm-hmm. So there's no way we're going to get him in trouble. The satraps, you might remember yeah. that whole thing or satraps, I don't, we don't know how to pronounce that. But um, if you remember that whole thing, so what did they do? They said, we're going to make it illegal for you to bring a petition to anyone other Other than the king. king. And and Daniel, again, we talked about this then, he he went about his normal practice. He didn't go, oh, I'm going to thumb this in the nose of the king. But he kept doing the thing that he had been faithfully doing all this time. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but I, I asked you then, what do you think he's praying for? You know, when he opens the the doors uh, or his window toward Jerusalem, mm-hmm. right? And, and he's praying. You know, I said then, what do you think he's praying for? And I think this is this is an example. This prayer that we have recorded here is kind of the thing that he would be praying about. Because remember the historical context that was in the context of Darius, you know, the Mede. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think he's praying, God restore us. You know, uh, we failed. And we ask for your forgiveness, but we ask you now to restore us according to your promise, according to your covenant of love, as he as he calls it here. So I think that's kind of a cool thing to picture when, when yeah. we read that story. I had never thought of that, connected to that, to the Darius story earlier with right. the lion's den, and then here we are with this. Here we story. are, and this is this is this is what he's praying about, right? Mm-hmm. This is this is the kind of thing that's on his mind in this period of time. Now, the other thing I want to bring up, we looked at Jeremiah late in Jeremiah twenty nine, but one of the things that Daniel says here is, "We have not listened to your servants, the prophets," and so I want to look at a little earlier in Jeremiah, just as a, again as kind of an example. I think of the kind of thing that he's talking about here. This is Jeremiah chapter eight, and, and I just I love some of the language here. It's just so uh, vivid. But here's what God tells Jeremiah: You are to say to my people, uh, say to them. This is this is Jeremiah eight, starting in verse four. Say to them: This is what the Lord says: When people fall down, do they not get up? <laughs> think about that. It's a pretty interesting question. Uh-huh. What's the when you fall? Well, yeah, you get up, yeah. right? You, mm-hmm. you don't stay down. When someone turns away, do they not return? Turning away is is a prophetic image of of sin, right? Of of turning away from God. Do they not return? Why then? The question comes from God through Jeremiah. Why then have these people turned away? Why does Jerusalem always turn away? They cling to deceit. They refuse to return. I have listened attentively, but they do not say what is right. None of them repent of their wickedness, saying, what have I done? Each pursues their own course like a horse charging into battle. Even the stork in the sky knows her appointed seasons, and the dove, the swift, and the thrush observe the time of their migration. But my people do not know the requirements of the Lord. I find that an interesting image. (coughs) Sorry about that. He... uh, He's saying even the birds know the right time of year to return. <laughs> right. You see him saying he's talking yeah. about migratory, you know, like when we we always say, oh, it's spring because there's the first robin of spring, right? It, it, it's, it's a return. And he says, even the birds know when to return, but my people don't even know when to return. So they've gone, they've fallen and they refuse to get up. They've turned away and they refuse to return. And this is what, you know, this is the message of Jeremiah. This is why God is is punishing. It's not simply that they have sinned. It is that they have um, stubbornly rebelled against him and refused to acknowledge their sin is what it basically comes comes to. Um, I'm going to read a little bit further here. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I, the language here is just amazing. 
he says, how can, how can you say we are wise for we have the law of the Lord when actually the lying pins of the scribes has handled it falsely. So, you know, they're bragging about this fact that they have God's law, but he's saying that they've not handled it properly. Hmm. Um, they've interpreted it in, in, in inappropriately. The wise will be put to shame. They'll be dismayed and trapped since they have rejected the word of the Lord. What kind of wisdom do they have? Therefore, I will give their wives to other men and their fields to new owners. That's the image of. So (laughs) here's what I want you to hear is this land. So God says, I promised you this land, but I promised you this land as long as you continue to obey me and you continue to do the things that that I've called you to do. But now because you've you've done that, I'm giving this land to others from the least to the greatest. All are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. Uh, they dress the wound of my people as though it was not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. You know, Jeremiah, one of the things that he had to deal with was these false prophets who kept saying, oh, everything's fine, guys. You know, God's promised us this. And and Jeremiah's saying, no, <laughs> the Babylonians are going to come and going to take us away. So I, I just find that whole message really interesting. And, and it fits now with Daniel um, returning and basically saying, we are going to acknowledge our sin now. And that's why I think he starts um, with that that kind of a message. Now, <laughs> you always like to say, so what? So mm-hmm. what message do we take away from that? How do we how do we think of that in in, in terms of our um, you know our application of this um, to ourselves, would you say? Do you have any thoughts on that? I, I mean there's just the recognition of of ourselves in this. Like it's right. not this false yeah. Like, oh, it, it, it's not just going, well, God, you promised this, and I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, that was kind of the false message of the false prophets, yeah. but acknowledgement of sin and and then that turning, like, that's that's the first step to yeah. reconciliation is the Absolutely. acknowledgement of of sin. Yeah. And and I think that's exactly where, where I would get to for us then is... You know, we look at the state of the world, and, and I realize there's lots that's going wrong, but many times <laughs> what I hear is blame being given toward other people. And I'm not saying that there isn't any blame toward others, but there's a failure to begin with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Right. Uh, so Daniel could go, oh, these satraps are trying to, you know, whatever. Oh, you know, Belshazzar was not a good character, right? He, he, he was a lousy ruler and, and you could, you could point to all of these things. The Kings are the ones who got us into trouble. Stupid Zachariah, you know, tried to rebel against the Babylonian, you know, all you could blame all of these other things on the world events around us. But Daniel recognizes we have to begin with our own failure, uh, with the sin that is within us. Um, it's easy for us to point to other groups and, and say, oh, they are the problem. Uh, but we have to acknowledge our, ourselves and the problem. And, and I'll just, I was thinking about this the other day, and I'm trying to think how much of this to tell, but um, I, I'm in this process right now. Well, I'll go ahead and say we're we're in the process of renting this this um, renting out this um, this property. And uh, one of the things we do is a background check, right? Mm-hmm. And I tell people um, we're going to do a background check. You know, some some places I think they tell you you're going to do a background check and they don't do it. And so I say, you know, one of the things I'm just I, I'm not trying to disqualify you. One of the things I'm just looking for is to make sure your story checks out, right? And so it's interesting to me, first of all, the number of people who will fail to disclose something, you know, so we'll ask very specifically, have you ever been convicted of this kind of a crime? Have you ever had a bankruptcy? These kind of things. And, and they won't tell you, but then they'll sign the thing saying they acknowledge you're going to do a background check and you find it and you're like, okay. Uh, Here's the other thing though that happened to me the other day is there was a person who, who had had several things. And again, that doesn't necessarily disqualify if you've had issues in the past. But this was a person who, who kept saying, basically, none of this is my fault. <laughs> like everything that's happened, this is why it's happened. And it's happened, you know, because I, I had no control in the situation, basically. And, and you're going, oh, okay. I, I mean, and, and I really wanted to say, it wasn't my place to in this, in this context, but it reminds me of us, right? This, I'm really making the application here with me is so many times 
we, we want to make these excuses when I think God is waiting for us simply to acknowledge our role first. And, and it's like you said, um, that's got to be the first step in, in true repentance is acknowledging our failure. Uh, if we don't acknowledge our failure, then then we will never be made right with God. So that's that's I think that's kind of the message I wanted to to get across. So. Okay. Other thoughts on that, or uh, I don't think so. I, I like seeing that <laughs> connection to Jeremiah, and that basically he's praying. It, it seems to be maybe praying through some Jeremiah yeah. and what Jeremiah has prophesied about. Yeah, I think so. So now verses 7 through 14 uh, is a pretty lengthy part of this prayer, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. He, he says, Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you've scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, and this is what I was talking about earlier, therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the word spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster under the whole heaven. Nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. So <clears throat> I find this specific reference to the law of Moses and the curses in the law of Moses very interesting. So again, I think he's reading Deuteronomy. You know, he, he I, I'm, I'm kind of joking when I say reading because, I mean, he probably committed Deuteronomy to memory, right? That was that was what they were called to do. And and he's saying all those curses are exactly what God, what has happened is exactly what God has said would happen to us if we fail to obey him. And so he's he's acknowledging that that part in it. Um, you know, the part in the, in the, in the sins of the people, he's in a sense, he's, he's, um, he's, um, defending God, not, you know, not that God needs defending, but he's basically saying God's just, he's righteous in what he has done. He's not failed us in some way. Uh, we're the ones who have failed him. Uh, and so I think that's, that's what that, that part's about. Yeah, if you want to understand the Old Testament, just read Deuteronomy. I mean, it's it's true. I mean, it's very true. Um, it, you know, it it's it is, you know, and it's one of those books we avoid, I think. But it is chock full of. It's like the whole meta narrative of the Old Testament is right there, in la- Deuteronomy, laid out yeah, right yeah. there, and, and and into the New Testament as well, yeah. obviously. Um, so go ahead and read this next part. Then this is this is um, you know then so basically saying okay we repent. And now he's seeking God's response. So look at mm-hmm. verses 15 through 19 here. Now, Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. We have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, may God, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Wow. I mean, what a great, what a great prayer here. A couple of things just to point out. Um, the first is, um, is early on there. He, he compares this to the Exodus, right? He, he, and, and this was the great redemptive act. Of, I've said this before. The great redemptive act of God in the Old Testament is the Exodus. Mm-hmm. And so he goes back. He says, we remember what you did. And, and basically, if you could bring us out of Egyptian captivity 
right, the way that you did, then there is nothing that you can't accomplish. Um, you can you can bring us back to the land, you know, if, if that's what you choose to do. The second thing that I find very interesting, and, and especially that one line, man, it just it, you, that that's something. If you want a verse to hold on to, that ought to be the one to hold on to. But this whole idea that Daniel is calling on God because of God's own reputation, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Basically he's saying, do this for your glory and for your name. He says, we ask these things not because we are righteous, right? But but because you are merciful. <laughs> it, it, it's your mm-hmm. character that we're depending on, not ours. And and that that's a stance of a of a faithful person of God is what I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not because I'm holier than thou. It's not because there's something better about me. It's because of the greatness of the God I serve uh, that I even have the opportunity to to make these petitions. I guess is is the way I would I would put it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I think is um, is the is the primary. Uh, the point of that, he's he's basically asking now for God because we are asking forgiveness for you to keep your promise to, to bring us back to the land. He's acting asking for that kind of action that they saw in the Exodus. Hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of this these last uh, here a person of your servant reminds yeah. me a little bit of Isaiah a little bit like Isaiah sure. six when God's saying like I'm gonna right. I, I was just looking this up. Uh, that he he talks about make their heart of the people callous, make their yeah. eyes dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Turn. Yeah. And you know, then we have Daniel here talking about the turn, like we're mm-hmm. turning towards you, Lord. Like hear yeah. us now. You know, we the seventy years has been completed in yeah. Jeremiah. Hear hear our prayer, Lord, and and return us to the land that yeah. has your name on it. We didn't do it when the prophets, you know, he acknowledges a couple mm-hmm. places. We didn't listen to the prophets, but now, Lord, we're, tu- we're turning. We're doing what they ask us to do at that point. So, yeah. So all that's been kind of just the prayer. And again, I like to, as I mentioned, I like to put that in kind of the context of that, that story of Daniel, the lion's den when, uh, when in chapter six, you know, when he's, um, He's praying. This is this is the kind of prayer he's praying. Right. Uh, Lord, re- return us to to the land, and again, do it because of your uh, your mercy and your your promise. So this is where the vision starts. Then this is where so it this, gets goofy. At least it's for been, me. Well, it's been a little different to this point. It's not been like you know we don't we don't have animals running around with horns and knocking people over and that kind Sheeps of stuff. Sheep and rams battling you it know, out. Bears with you know mouths full of meat. I lean the bear. You know iron iron teeth terrible beast and that kind of stuff but but gabriel comes (laughs) gabriel comes back which is very very interesting to me we saw him last chapter Mm -hmm. and he's this messenger a a lot of people talk about this because here's what's kind of cool to think about is we see gabriel then in the new testament right Mm -hmm. we see gabriel's the one who comes and and talks to mary Mm -hmm. and and then we see him associated with these other actions right of basically saying god's God's redemptive plan is is coming to fruition. The things that he has promised in the past are now coming to fruition. And so Gabriel's kind of connected with that, if, if you think about it here. And we also see him connected with that idea of the coming of, of the Christ. And so we'll, we'll say more about that. But go ahead and read verses 20 and 21. Then. Yeah. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request of the, to the Lord my God for his holy hill... While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. Okay, let's stop there. <clears throat> the thing that I think is really interesting, do you notice he emphasizes it twice, that this happened while I was in prayer? Mm-hmm. I find that really interesting because basically it's saying that, <clears throat> and we're going to see this in a different way as well, but basically he's saying it was it was in the midst of my prayer that God answers, right? It's while I am praying that I find this messenger of God coming to me. And, uh, you know, that, that's, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. It, it, I think we're going to learn something here about the power of God, of prayer, even, even when we're praying for something that God has already said that he wants 
to happen or that will happen, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's in the midst of this prayer that Gabriel comes to him. And, and the only reason I mention this because he says it twice, right? right? He says at the beginning, while I was praying, and then and then it was while I was making this petition, while I was still in prayer, verse uh, 21, Gabriel then comes to me in swift flight. Interesting thing as well to notice here is it's about the time of the evening sacrifice, and we, we looked at the evening and morning sacrifices a little bit last week. You got to remember, these are not taking place right now. Right. But but they're still, God's people are still thinking about, right, the the, the sacrifice. It, it shows, it shows. I think, I've talked about in exiles when we get this development of being, uh, the things that you can do in response to God, like prayer, Right, become very important to people because they can't do the things like sacrifice. So, you know, I think what this indicates is again, uh, you might remember in chapter um, six, it says that it was the normal times that he would go and pray. Right, the times when Daniel would go up and, and pray, it was it was a routine, and it seems like that his prayer, at least here, is during the time of the evening sacrifice. I can't go up to the temple. So I'm going to open my windows toward the temple and I'm going to pray to God to restore us, um, you know, during that time when we would normally be offering the evening sacrifice. Okay. So here's what Gabriel says then. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. I've said before, Daniel never claims to have insight or understanding. It's always from God that he's given these things. 23, as soon as you began to pray... A word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. I want to stop there. You see the connection between Daniel's prayer and the word that goes out, right? This this Mm -hmm. message that he's going to receive. So, you know, we talk about answered prayer sometimes, and this is a specific answered prayer. As soon as you began to pray, this word went out. And, and I think it's a good image for us to remember that the things that we say in prayer do matter. They do make a difference. Um, you know, we pray for things that God wants. Uh, when, when we pray, for example, uh, for a person to, to come to know him, maybe someone who's not in a relationship with God through Christ, we, we're praying for that person. God desires that relationship, right? But our prayers still matter. They still make a difference. And I think this is an example. Uh, this is an example of that. So now let's get to the hard part. <laughs> yeah. All this other, all you're like all this other stuff. I understand this. No, no problem. Yeah. 2477s are decreed for your people. Some of your translations will, will, um, translate the sevens here as weeks and mm-hmm. it's the same same word basically uh, either for sevens or for weeks this typically is understood to refer not to days of a week seven days in a week but is is referring to seven years so the word has to do with sabbath right um on the seventh day right the sabbath that's that's how the the jewish people counted their calendar but there also is in the law this Sabbath year. Mm-hmm. Literally, the seventh year was also a time of, of rest. And so what, what we understand is that the 77 is probably talking about 70 Sabbath year periods. Okay, 77s mm-hmm. is, is the way it's said. So 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, I stop there because um, your translation and mine both say most holy place. But interestingly, the word place is not there. Uh, and so you'll have a footnote probably. Do you have I a footnote? In it you? Says, what is this? Or, or the most holy one. Yeah, this is exactly where we would expect to have the most holy place, but it doesn't say that. It says the most holy one, right? Mm-hmm. So the most holy place, of course, would be the temple, the temple where we're thinking about the sacrifices and all this kind of stuff. The most holy one, one <laughs> is is um, somebody different. Well, and we'll talk about that. Kind of different. So, so he's he's saying basically there's this 
77. So why would they play? Why would they say place? Why would they even put that in there? Uh, Because you got to put something. What if you just put to anoint the most holy? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. (laughs) It's a question for the for the translators. So, and this is why, you know, I, I was I was. It bothers me sometimes because I know, you know, I'll bring this kind of stuff up and and it makes people mad like this. Like, oh, you know, it's I'm not mad. I'm intrigued. (laughs) But this is this is where I always say we have to do a little bit of study. Right. Right. And and this is why I know it it, it upsets me. And I try to think how to how to say this in a way that's not upsetting to other people, Um, because, you know, sometimes I'll be teaching. I was doing this the other day in Sunday school is teaching on something out of John, which, you know, I should know better. Classic. We're talking about John chapter three, and and I just brought up a couple of things that the word born again, the word for again there is, it may not mean again. (laughs) There's two different things that it can mean. And we looked at other places and, you know, one of the students said, how would we ever known this unless you told us this? And, and, you know, this is, I don't want to get us to a point where we almost say, oh, I'm going to give up reading my Bible, right? Mm -hmm. But. I do want to get us to a place, and this is what this podcast is all about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, here's the meta, right? It is is we say that it is necessary for us to understand something about the history and the culture and the language, right, surrounding this this book because it wasn't written yesterday. It wasn't written in American English, um, and and so it requires a little bit of work for us, and it. Even if at least they gave it to you in the footnote, <laughs> is what I would say. You know, at least it, there are resources that we have available to help us to understand these things. So, so that I guess that's the only thing I'll say about that. So, help me with math then. Um, four hundred ninety. So, oh wow, you're quick about that. So, four hundred ninety year period. So we're talking about a time in the future is what what he's pointing toward. Now, here's where I want you to think about the connection. What 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 period of time was Daniel talking about? Like that he's in or that he's going well, to? What's he praying about? He's praying he's about saying, returning to the, the Holy Land. Because, because what period of time's over? Yeah, they're, they're exile. The 70, 70 years are over. Years are over. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so you see where we're going with this maybe. Mm-hmm. So Daniel's like, hey. 70 years are over. It's time for us to get back to to how things are to be, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so he's praying about and what is he praying specifically about? He's praying about sin and 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 the people's failure to be able to keep God's law, right? To do the things that are right and and their failure and their desire to return to God and to have, you know, this righteousness. And so Gabriel comes along and says, "Let me tell you about 77s." Hmm. <laughs> okay? So, so he's thinking about this period of time over and a time of, I'm going to use the word redemption. Okay. And I think what Gabriel's pointing him to is a longer term redemption. Hmm. Okay. He's, he's saying that there's going to be 77s. And how does he describe it here? He says that, um, he says that the 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression. Mm-hmm. In other words, there's still more transgression to come, right? Right. Uh, to put an end to sin, you know. So, so you're basically you're right, Daniel. Your prayer is absolutely right. Uh, in His righteousness, God has got to put an end to transgression. He's got to put us in into sin to atone the way that the sacrifices were supposed to, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, in in other words, an eternal righteousness, to seal up ultimately vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Um, And so so you're looking for the temple, (laughs) Daniel. Mm -hmm. You're looking for a restoration of sacrifice. You're looking for people to turn from their, from, from the people of Israel to turn from their sin. And Gabriel here points towards something that God is doing that's even going to be greater. That's that's the way I would understand this. Mm-hmm. So here's verses. Uh, let me see. So twenty four. Yeah. Okay. So 
here's verse 25, and I want you to think about this one. I'm going to ask you some questions. I know I'm reading more than I normally do, but I want you to think about this one. No one understand this from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Okay, so remember Jerusalem's in destruction right now, and that's something that Daniel was lamenting in his prayer, right? Desolation has come on Jerusalem. So from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. Okay. Now, the interesting thing about this to me is, well, who's the anointed one? The Messiah, Jesus. That, that's that word. That's mm-hmm. the word Mashiach, mm-hmm. right? This is the word that we, in Greek, the transliteration is, is Christ, right? The one who's been anointed, the, the king, the, the promised one, the promised Messiah. Until he comes, there'll be seven sevens and 62 sevens, which is 69 times 70, which comes up to what? 483. There you go. Nice, nice job. So what we have going on here, I think, is what we have to do is we have to figure out when the word goes out to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, because it happens a few different times. You you have Cyrus's decree that you could look at. Uh, and again, I don't want to get too specific here. Um, you could also look at the time where God seems to say, let's rebuild the walls, which is 457, 457 BC in, in Ezra, uh, during the time of Ezra is when we see that. If that's the case, 457, um, um, you know, until until 400 and what did you say, 60, uh, 482, right? We're talking during the, the time of the ministry of Jesus, basically. Now, there's lots of people who want to get a very specific, like we're talking about 26 AD, or we're talking about 33 AD, which if you do 40, 457, um, and the, the whole 490, you end up with 33 AD, interestingly enough. Mm-hmm. But but you're talking about, I'm not going to get too specific here, but what I'm talking about here is that Gabriel is saying, you're looking for God's redemption, and God's going to bring that redemption to, to Jerusalem. And, and then the walls of Jerusalem are going to be rebuilt. Mm-hmm. The temple's going to be rebuilt. But... <laughs> When that begins, there's going to be a word go out, and the anointed one is going to come after there have been these 69 sevens, right? right. So, so that's what I think this is talking about. It's talking about there's, there's coming of the ruler. Uh, it'll be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. So even though you know you're looking forward to Jerusalem and the temple being rebuilt, Daniel, but that doesn't mean there's going to be an end to trouble. Mm-hmm. And, and instead, God's going to send this anointed one. Verse 26 then, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. So we're talking here about the crucifixion of the mm-hmm. of the anointed one, which is a, 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 a crazy concept if you think about it. You know, the, the, the death, it doesn't say crucifixion here, obviously, but the death of the anointed one. You know, so this promised ruler that God has given, you know, what what Gabriel's saying is he, he's going to die. There's also going to be this death that takes place. And then notice what it says. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. So you're looking forward to this time when the temple is going to be rebuilt, Daniel. But I'm telling you, Gabriel says, that even after the temple has been rebuilt, sin is going to continue, war is going to continue, and there's going to come a time where that sanctuary is is brought to desolation as well. That temple is going to be destroyed as well. And here he is. Daniel's just praying <laughs> to get us back to the temple. Hey, man. And hey, here's some good and some bad. Well, I, I think it's ultimately good though because what I he's think saying, it's ultimately good. But I'm just <laughs> in his ears, kind of going, "Oh, destruction, death of the anointed one." Exactly, and 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 here here's where I think it's a more it's an example of where 
prophecy is more profound in its fulfillment than even our expectation. Mm. Because Daniel's reading Jeremiah in his in his morning devotion, and he's going, "Oh, the seventy, the seventy is is up, and, and God's going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He's going to rebuild the temple. The evening sacri- morning and evening sacrifices are going to be resumed, and, and and that's all we need, right? Mm-hmm. And, and here's Gabriel to come along and say, God God's desire is to put an end to transgression." Uh, you you said read read Deuteronomy and you get a picture of the Old Testament. You know what's going to happen. <laughs> you know um, the people are are going to go back to do what people do. Even the righteous remnant are are going to go back to to uh, being led astray by you know this time the oppressors who come in, mm-hmm. and and they're going to follow the ways of. Antiochus Epiphanes, and they're going to follow the ways of uh, the Romans when they come in, uh, because they're the ones who are in in charge, and they're the ones who are in power. And God's looking at putting an end to transgression and, and to sin. So here's verse twenty-seven, and this is this is the perhaps the most difficult to understand. I think He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, so for seven years, let's say. In the middle of the seven, which is what? There's our three and a half. There's right. our time and times mm-hmm. and half a time. Mm-hmm. So in the middle of this of this seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. So um, there are some people who think this is a reference to three and a half years of Jesus' ministry. Hmm. And at the end of that, his sacrifice. So he has this covenant with many. In other words, there are many who, who, who become his people, even though he's killed and left with nothing. This is still a reference to the Messiah. Um, and I will say um, that makes sense grammatically because the he here, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven refer, would refer back to the anointed one. Uh, in the middle of seven, he'll put an end to sacrifice and offering and at the temple, he will set up an abomination that brings desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So this is where we get a little bit of a confusion. And and so is this talking about, so so when we think abomination that brings desolation, it makes us think of Antiochus Epiphanes. Mm-hmm. It makes us think back to chapter seven and this one, this proud horn who's going to grow up and who's going to destroy the temple and this kind of thing. So is this the work of Christ? Or is this a reference to another who's going to put an end to sacrifice like Antiochus did? Uh, that's the question we have to ask. <clears throat> and I, I see a little bit of both. I see I see Christ's work here. And just like we see in Hebrews, Christ becomes the end of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Right? Christ's right. sacrifice becomes the end of it. I have said in John that Jesus points us toward a time coming uh, when we'll worship neither, <laughs> right, on, mm-hmm. on there's no temple that's going to work. Um, we see in John chapter 2, he says, I am the temple. Uh, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, right? I'm going to the cross in order to, and I'll, I'll refer people back to those things we've talked about in the past with John. Um, but even in do you remember when we had uh, uh, John Wesley on and he talked about the uh, the Luke, the um, little apocalypse? Mm-hmm. Look in, this is the Matthew version of that. Look at Matthew chapter 24, um, where Jesus, I think, in his ministry refers to, to this kind of an idea as well. Matthew 24. Okay. I don't know what I'm doing to make it sound like that. 24 and then... Uh, I'm going to start here in 15. He he warns this basically. Well, let me let me go a little bit earlier just to give us some context. He says to his disciples, verse nine, then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow old or grow cold. I'm sorry. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. 
we've always said that's the message of apocalypse, right? Is mm-hmm. be faithful despite what whatever happens. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all to, to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. <laughs> then those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one go in the field to get back their cloak. How dreadful be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. And and John Weatherly described that as a reference to the siege of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. right? When the Romans, when Titus and Vespasian came in, Titus particularly laid siege to Jerusalem. And after two years, they destroyed Jerusalem and the temple again, the sanctuary again. And to this day, it has not been rebuilt. Um, so I, I think when Jesus refers to this abomination brings desolation, he's not looking back at Antiochus, right? He's looking at another desolation of the sanctuary that's going to take place. And I think that's what Gabriel is saying to um Daniel, there's going to come a time where the evening sacrifice is going to come to an end and is not going to be practiced anymore. Um, there's coming a time where God is going to fulfill his His promise to deal with sin. He's going to to bring one that I would say that the, the temple was pointing to. Um, he's going to bring one who the temple, what, what the temple was accomplishing is what that one, that holy one is, is going to accomplish. So not the holy place, but the holy one is what I would see as reference here. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the abomination of desolation isn't necessarily a person, but someone, but it is a, a type of person. I think so. It, it is, it is something that it, I'll say it this way. It's not something that just happens once. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's something that happens with Antiochus, and it happens again. And in fact, it happened before Antiochus too in 586, right? When the, when the temple had been destroyed before. So, so you know, Daniel wants things to be, which he understands the prophecy of Jeremiah. He wants things to be put back the way that they are to be. And and Gabriel is pointing towards something that's even greater. I find it so don't don't lose sight of this. Again, I know we get caught up in all the the numbers and and, and the historical references. This kind of thing. I love the fact that it's in the middle of this prayer of Daniel recognizing sin and, and the effects of sin, and, and and calling for God in His mercy and His righteousness to act, right? Mm -hmm. It's in the middle of that prayer that I think Gabriel gives Daniel a vision of, of the Christ and of the eventual, um, what do you want to say? Remedy, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, that's kind of a weak, (laughs) weak word, but restoration, the the eventual redemption, uh, the, the, the restoration that we will have in our transgressions and sin when Christ comes. So he's pointing to this long term. Um, you know, it's not the, the rebuilding the temple and the walls of Jerusalem is not going to take care of it. Uh, it's going to take something much greater and much more profound is the way I would put it. And, and it matches right along with with it. I think it's 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 a you know God's redemptive plan pointing toward what Christ was going to do. Yeah. I th- you know, I, as we talk about this, you know, it's always prophetic apocalyptic literature always has like yeah. a, a little bit of a cryptic nature to it, you know, and, bit, and yeah. as if, well, as you've said, you know, we've got to be up to the task culturally what's happening and sure. looking ahead. Um, but, you know, I think it's, it's to see again, the reminder of Gabriel's coming in the midst of that prayer yeah. when Daniel is looking for that restoration that was promised in Jeremiah, that Gabriel's pointing him beyond that to the to the true restoration of of, yeah. of all things to come. And I don't know how clearly I made this, but I love the fact that it's Gabriel that makes that announcement in the beginning pages of the New Testament as well. Hmm. You know, here, here this time has come. There's a there's a, a, a I want to say there's a completion to that, <laughs> right? That he brings this message now, and now here we are. Here, here's the end of that. Not the end of the sevens, but we're getting to the end of the seventy sevens, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so that's what I think is is going on here. So. I just I'd never thought about that. Is that yeah. he's he's bringing the message twice, 
essentially in some ways um, kind of bracketing, bracketing bracketing that age the, yeah. the narrative hmm. interesting yeah. very good well brian that's great <laughs> that's it's good. daniel daniel's pretty good daniel's great i, I, I think Some this good is stuff in there yeah I, and i think that's again as we got through the animals and we get the murkiness yeah. and all that stuff but to, to to spend some time and again i think this is always the thing that throws us off as we get into the weeks and like is this weeks is this years right that's what what is this and i think that's when we get into kind of some of the muck and mire sometimes that sure that some of the craziness that can kind of go along with Daniel and so forth, yeah. but uh, to step back and try to look at that that bigger picture and, and how the words are used and the context yeah. in which they're used uh, gives us a clearer picture of, of where Gabriel's pointing that it's not yeah. it's not a lost cause to look into these things, uh, but that there is there is truth behind there. I think you know, and I I just I love to see the connection with what according to his best understanding. And this is Daniel; he's faithful Daniel. You know, I mean, he's no dummy. And according to the best of his understanding, how much more profound God's plan is. And so I guess for us, here's here's what I try to take hold of that. I want to have the humility of Daniel, right, to say, um, you know, I'm understanding God's plan to the best of my ability. But, man, I, I, I will take comfort and, and I, I will remain faithful to the fact that his his truth is um, the fulfillment of his promise is going to be even more profound than what I can imagine hmm. uh, is, is the way I would think about it too. So very good. Well, All thanks right. so much, Brian. It's a Chapter pleasure as week. always. Yep. Yeah. If you're enjoying the podcast, we invite you yeah. to join us on Patreon. You can sign up for that by going to thebiblebistro.com. Up right hand corner, you can click on support the bistro. They'll take you to our Patreon. And if you support us, you can get some swag there. Or if you want to send us more uh, Jesus in a snow globe, but we prefer <laughs> Patreon. But I don't know. I, I'm really digging this Jesus in yeah. a snow globe riding the clouds here. Um, but if you're enjoying it, you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Share. We'd love for you to share the podcast if you're finding this uh, uh, helpful for you and in, in your walk and, and your study time. We'd appreciate the share and the like and uh, all the good stuff. So, yep. Brian, thank you so much for your time. No problem. And uh, we'll look at Daniel 10 then next Tuesday. See you next time. All right. See you. Bye. Bye.